Welcome to It's an EDRN. On this episode, we are going to talk about COVID. I know, it's a lot, and I'm super tired of thinking about it, and it's a part of my daily reality. So I'm going to talk about it, and that's what we're doing here today. And if that's not for you right now, I completely understand. I'm your host, an EDRN, and I hope you'll stick around to listen. It's an E. It's a D. It's an ED. Episode 7, and EDRN is going to talk about COVID. Welcome to my podcast, it's an EDRN. I'm your host, an EDRN, and today we are talking about COVID, coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2. Um, there's a lot that has gotten wrapped up in what this is. Um, Objectively, it's a public health crisis and a global pandemic, so I'm going to lay out the impact of COVID on my daily life as a person, as a nurse, as a nurse person working in an emergency department. If you're new to the show, um, allow me to introduce myself. I have been a nurse for 10 years. I've worked med surge, ICU, and for the past five years, I was a nurse manager, and you can hear all about that in a previous episode. Um, and that is a life I would like to leave behind. For the past five months, I've been working in an emergency department as a frontline staff member. And it's challenging and difficult. And honestly, it's giving me my life back. So I'm enjoying it very much. That being said, um, let's talk about COVID. Um, and I'm going to start at the very beginning with my childhood. <laughs> you know, as you do. Um, I grew up in a super, what I would characterize as a super religious household. Um, very evangelical upbringing. Very the Lord upbringing. I was born at home um, because I don't think that my parents really trusted doctors. I was homeschooled uh, because I don't think my parents really uh, trusted education professionals. Um, you know, the Lord is my health care. Prayer is medicine. Sin is the root of all maladies, that kind of thing. I understand that particular subset of the anti-vax, anti-mask movement that is white evangelical Christianity because I lived that experience. And I have been there. And I am not going to be talking on that today. That is my past, and I am leaving it there. So that's all of that. I also don't have any interest in preaching to the choir. So my fellow nurses, which hopefully are a lot of you listening, the majority of you get it and we're feeling the same feels. And I will bitch about all of this with you at work. <laughs> And I will enjoy all the Instagram memes um, on another day. But today, I want to talk to the hesitant, the undecided, the contemplative, 
people who are in the contemplative state of the change model. And as a throwback for many of you, and then some of you may be hearing about this for the first time, there is the stages of change model. It's a five-step model, and it describes different places that people are at with behavioral changes or thought changes in their lives. So pre-contemplative is like the first stage. And when you're pre-contemplative, you have not yet even acknowledged that there is a problem or a need to change. And when someone is in a pre-contemplative state, no one can help you. You you haven't even recognized that there may be an issue here. So those people are on their own journey and, and they'll get somewhere eventually. Um, the contemplative stage is the next stage. And that's the stage at which we become aware that there may be a problem that we need to change, but we're not yet sure if we want to. So bingo, bango, that's my target audience for this episode. Um, and before we continue, another important concept that's going to come up is this concept of cognitive dissonance, which I think is something we're talking a lot more about as a society since the pandemic started. And it describes the feeling you get when a cognition or thought contradicts a behavior. And the example that's always used is the example of a smoker. In order to acknowledge, like, I am a smoker and also the idea smoking can kill me, your mind, that's a horrible feeling to feel. Your mind goes through all these mental gymnastics to prevent you from having that cognitive dissonance. So we either quit smoking or we have to come up with thoughts that justify our behavior. And these thoughts can be anywhere from smoking keeps me thin and being overweight is a health risk, so it cancels out all the way to the very, very end of the extreme, which is something like the anti-smoke media want me to think smoking can kill me as a way to control my thoughts. And smoking is the only way to have access to the kind of higher thought processes necessary to understand the lies all around us. So that's something I made up, but like, you know, it, it sounds insane and that's why. But that's what our brains do. We come up with all these, in, these, these explanations that have no real root in fact. Um, and that's a natural thing that we all do about different stuff. Uh, back to COVID. Some basic facts to lay the groundwork for this discussion. Um, COVID is a virus. It's part of the SARS family of viruses. <laughs> it comes from the SARS family of viruses. <laughs> COVID is transmitted through droplet and aerosolized droplets from an infected person. So large droplets are just called spittle. And then aerosolized droplets are, are droplets that are so small that they can kind of hang out in the air for from minutes to hours. And that's pretty much how it's, it's transmitted. Your spittle gets into my mouth and mingles with my spittle and boom, I have COVID. Um... It began as a very transmissible virus and became even more transmissible as new variants arose. Um, in response to COVID, scientists and researchers developed a vaccine so that we could have some measure of immunity to the virus. The vaccine is effective at preventing infection to varying degrees. The vaccine is effective at preventing hospitalization and death to even higher degrees. And these are the basic facts that we need to agree on. 
in order to proceed. That there is a virus, that it is very transmissible, that people are getting sick and dying of it, that there is a vaccine, that to differing percentages, depending on you as an individual, can prevent you from becoming sick and to a very high percentage prevent you from being hospitalized and dying. Um, there are reasons you, you might agree with these facts and still not get vaccinated. You may feel you are an otherwise healthy person and you could just as easily fight off the virus as deal with the side effects of the vaccine. This is something I have heard. And you might be right. You might get it, and it may not be a big deal for you. You know, statistically speaking, you're unlikely to die from it, even unvaccinated. Um, but there are other things to consider, and I want to talk about that. And so that's kind of where we're going. I just I keep, <laughs> I keep feeling compelled to update as to, like, where this is going because I want to be aware that this is a difficult conversation to have. It is so fraught with emotion. And if you're like me and you feel strongly one way, and I do, you know, I'm a healthcare professional. The majority of us do feel strongly one way. And then you have loved ones who maybe feel strongly another way. Um, it becomes like a daily conflict in your life. And so if this is not the time to delve into this daily conflict for you, it's okay to like exit now. I'm going to keep talking about it and please don't feel bad about not listening, but I really do hope you keep listening. Anyway, that is, that's the last caveat that I'm going to provide. We're just going to go full steam ahead. Let's, let's just keep going. Um, where even were we? According to the CDC, hospitalizations in December 2021 were 44 times higher in the unvaccinated versus the vaccinated person. 44 times higher. And that's important to point out because as new variants emerge, it becomes more difficult for the vaccine, which was based on like three variants ago, to cover us from infection, from getting it and from passing it on. And so you may be hearing more and more about the vaccinated being hospitalized, but what's important to understand is as the total number of cases rises, so too will the individual cases of vaccinated persons. But what is important to look at is vaccinated versus unvaccinated hospitalizations. And when you're looking at a population 44 times higher, that's the unvaccinated versus vaccinated. That's a very significant number. That's incredibly significant. So in case you're thinking, well, not everyone who's hospitalized dies of this thing. And you're right. Very few people statistically who are hospitalized are dying. And we'll talk more about that later. But I just want to describe for you, I just want to take a second to describe what it is like to be hospitalized with COVID right now, regardless of why you come in. You are not allowed to have any visitors if you are a COVID-positive patient. Number one, because most of your visitors are going to be friends and family, loved ones that you spend a lot of time with, and so they are also suspect for having contracted the virus. 
Um, so we advise them to quarantine, but also we can't allow anyone to come into your space that you could possibly infect because this is a, a public health consideration at this point. You can't have any visitors. You cannot leave your room, which means logistically that you have to do all your hygiene in a bedside commode, which is basically a bucket with a seat. Yeah. So you'll be peeing and pooping in a bucket if you have COVID in the hospital. Um, you will be wearing a mask at all times unless you're eating in your room. And that is to protect the healthcare workers that have to come into your room to take care of you. Um, your room is also populated as, you know, with the bedside commode that you have to pee and poop in and then hope that someone comes and empties it quickly. You have this huge, if you're in my ED, a huge blaring HEPA filter like right next to you, which is so loud. You can barely hear. I get, you call on the call light and I try to answer and all I can hear is like the blasting from that HEPA filter. It's like a the sound of a, of a generator basically in your room because that's kind of also what it is. Um, all of these considerations are if you are lucky enough to be conscious during this time which in our unvaccinated population is not always the case. So it's not great even to be hospitalized incidentally for COVID. It's not great. Um, another consideration that you may be thinking of is you, you may hear about vaccinated people being hospitalized and you may think to yourself, the vaccine may not even work. I'm, I might get vaccinated and then I might get COVID anyway. And you're right. There is a small percentage of people who will get vaccinated and they will contract COVID anyway. But as I've previously mentioned, you are 44 times less likely to be hospitalized if you're vaccinated. Nearly 100% likely that you're not going to die. Like. You can't say 100% because we would never say 100% about anything in science, but it's like so close to 100%. Um, you're less likely to create more variants if you're vaccinated, even if you contract the virus, and you're less likely to lose the ability to wipe your own ass. And we will get into that in a little bit. I'll explain that. Um, let's just talk about the emergency department. In the time of COVID, in January of 2021, the rate of COVID infections in the U.S. hospital ED was 5.4%. As of January 2022, the rate of COVID infections in an ED was 13.3%. That's like a lot more. And that's just math, folks. So for the healthcare worker working in the ED, it's kind of an FML situation because it's just a night, it's a logistical nightmare. There are only a few specific rooms that can be outfitted to be negative pressure rooms where it's safe to have an aerosolized virus or condition in those rooms. Um, Prior to COVID, those rooms were fashioned for our tuberculosis patients. 
viral meningitis patients, flu patients. That's that's who we were putting in those rooms. Now it's predominantly COVID. And not all rooms can handle that. So we may have, and it has happened many times, and this is anecdote, but in, in the ED I work in where we have someone in a hallway bed, we have someone in a non-negative pressure room, and because they're here for an abscess, they're here, again, for a, a, a trauma, and they come up COVID positive. Now we have to move patients around and take up time and resources to get people where they need to be. It's, it's just, it's a lot of wasted energy and time and attention. Um, but really what it boils down to for COVID is, is I'm not, I'm not totally sure that people are fully aware of what it's like to watch someone die. Um, I've been doing it for 10 years, so I'm no stranger to watching the elderly die after a long life, you know, peacefully with pain medication and warm blankets to ease them through. And I'm also not a stranger to watching young people die suddenly right under my hands, despite 45 minutes of chest compressions and epi and every intervention we could possibly try. So this is not new to us as healthcare workers. People die. Yes, that's a fact. But it affects me every time. And it, it's not that you get numb to it. You just develop a skill that allows you to put those feelings at the back of your mind to deal with later so that you can focus on the job you need to do in that moment. And that's probably affecting me in another way that I'll continue to work on with my therapist. But <laughs> the reason I'm bringing this up is we know how many people are dying from COVID in this country every day. We track it. You can look it up um, on the CDC website. And we know that these people are dying of COVID when they wouldn't otherwise be dying at all. But I don't think we know how many people are dying in this country every day because our current healthcare system is overwhelmed by the sheer number of patients, by the lack of staff, by the lack of resources as a direct result of a global pandemic that's lasted two years so far. And if you haven't watched someone die from COVID, I just need you to be aware of that. And maybe take a moment to listen to those of us who have and continue to look these people in the eyes when they come in and beg us to do something because they feel like they can't breathe. And they're right. They beg, and sometimes we can't save them, and that's something that we have to live with. Um, COVID vaccines work. <laughs> statistics in the U.S. validate this. Statistics across the globe validate this. And I also just want to address the idea that those of us who continue to observe uh, masking in public and not going out in public as much as we can avoid it and six feet separation from the next person, the idea that that is all about living in fear. And I want you to imagine for a moment 
how scary it must be, how scared a person must feel to ignore the most basic facts and construct for themselves a reality in which the pandemic is not real and is just totally fake and not happening. That's a powerful fear. And there's a desperation there to avoid feeling that fear. And so those people, too, deserve our empathy in a time when most of us have completely run out <laughs> of empathy and compassion. Um, that being said, I am going to try and scare you, and I am going to do that through an anecdotal story and understand that this is anecdote, which means this is not representative of any statistic. This is like a singular thing that happened. So just take it as that. But I had a patient who came into the hospital from a nursing facility and they were my age and their legs were atrophied. The muscles in their legs were atrophied so they couldn't walk. They also couldn't feel when they needed to have a bowel movement or to urinate. Um, and they had a, an infection from a bed sore, essentially, a pressure ulcer. And uh, in looking up how they got this way, I discovered that they were hospitalized for COVID for two months on a ventilator and somehow survived that, which is amazing. But their body had decompensated so much that they... They couldn't walk anymore, and they literally couldn't even wipe their own ass. And they were unvaccinated. And I just need you to understand the worst possible outcome is not necessarily that you will die. There are a lot of other outcomes in between. I will be perfectly fine, and I will die. And many, many of those other outcomes are not great either. So I also, I also just need you to visualize me um, going in to clean up this person who is watching Newsmax at the same time and telling me how much the, the vaccines are, how, how dangerous they are. I just need you to visualize that for me too, because that, um, God, that made me tired. <laughs> a very tiring moment for me. And that's it. We're done talking about this. Let's move on. So now it's time for some tips and tricks, and let's just get into it. Tip number one. Be a smart Googler. As a healthcare worker, I have access to all kinds of reputable databases. I can get on my phone and look things up in UpToDate. I have CINAHL. I have EBSCO. These are all databases that like correlate all of these research articles, peer-reviewed literature. You can trust it. I can look shit up, and I know I'm getting like peer-reviewed science stuff and not quackery. But not everyone has access to that. So naturally, you know, we Google it. And... We just get a mishmash of everything. So a smarter way to Google is to put specific sources in your search. So instead of searching COVID vaccine, does it work? Start with CDC, COVID vaccine, does it work? Or try World Health Organization, COVID vaccine, safe to get. Or health department, maybe your local health department, 
um, hospitalizations and COVID vaccine info. And that will get you to hopefully more reputable sources. Tip number two. Pay attention to your source website. So does the website that you're visiting to get this information have a .gov, a .org, or a .edu? Because more than likely, those will be more reputable sources. Not always, but they're usually more reputable. Because not just anyone can have those. Not any, just anyone can have a .gov. That's for the government. Not anyone can just have a .org. That's like an actual organization. And then not everyone can have a .edu. Obviously, that's like um, a higher learning institution. But literally, anyone, anyone can have a .com. So just think about that. Tip number three. Triangulate your data. Don't just go to one website and read one article and look at one graph to get your information. See if you can validate and find that information on another .gov or .edu site. Can you find at least three reputable sources all saying roughly the same thing? After listening to this today, can you find sources that validate what I've said here? It takes time and it can be frustrated when your sources are using language that you're not familiar with because it's just not a part of your daily life. But doing the work is worth it, um, even if it just saves one person from not being able to wipe their own ass. And finally, I have a trick. Don't try and use fear to motivate yourself to change. It doesn't actually work. So think about someone you love who is elderly or who is immunocompromised or who is pretty healthy but has asthma or high blood pressure and think of how much you don't want this person to die from COVID or to just have to shit in a bucket in the ED because they have COVID or who you want to be able to wipe their own ass for the rest of their lives. Think on that person and get vaccinated for them if you can't really find any concrete reasons to do it for yourself. Decreasing the likelihood of you getting COVID is decreasing the likelihood of passing it on to the people that you care about, the people you love, the people that you interact with the most. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If so, please subscribe, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and tell all your friends and family and loved ones to listen. Being vaccinated against COVID does not make me a better person than someone who is not. It just makes me less likely to contract the virus and to pass it on to people I care about. And really, that's the entire point. So thank you for listening and have a safe shift. It's an EDRN is written and produced by me. Our senior editor is me. The theme song is written and performed by, tragically, also me. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and do not reflect the standards and positions of any healthcare entity that I may or may not be working for. Although I am a nurse, things I say on this podcast are not a stand-in for professional medical advice and everything you hear from randos on the internet should absolutely be validated across multiple other reliable sources.